Chapter Fourteen of Virgin Soil, Volume One by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A fortnight more passed. Everything went its accustomed way. Sipiagin arranged the duties of the day, if not like a minister, at least like the director of a department, and maintained the same lofty, humane, and somewhat fastidious deportment. Kolya had his lessons. Anna Zaurovna fretted in continual, suppressed anger. Visitors came, talked, skirmished at cards, and apparently were not bored. Valentina Mialovna continued to amuse herself with Neshtanov, though a shade of something like good-natured irony was blended with her amenities. With Mariana, Neshtanov grew unmistakably intimate, and to his surprise found that her temper was even enough, and that he could talk to her about anything without coming into violent opposition in her company he twice visited the school though at his first visit he was convinced that he could do nothing there the reverend deacon was in full possession of it with sipiagin's consent and indeed by his wish the worthy father taught reading and writing fairly though on an old-fashioned method but at examinations he propounded questions decidedly ridiculous for instance he one day asked Garasei, how would he explain the expression the waters in the firmament to which Garasei, by the instruction of the same worthy father, was to reply, That is inexplicable. Moreover, the school, such as it was, was closed soon after, for the summer months, till autumn. Remembering the exhortation of Paklin and of others, Neshtanov tried, too, to make friends with the peasants. But soon he realized that he was simply, so far as his powers of observation enabled him, studying them, not doing propaganda work at all. He had spent almost the whole of his life in town, and between him and the country people there was a gulf over which he could not cross. Neshtanov succeeded in exchanging a few words with the drunkard Kirill, and even with Mendeley, but strange to say he was, as it were, afraid of them, and except some very brief abuse of things in general, he got nothing out of them. Another peasant, called Fidjuev, nonplussed him utterly. This peasant had a face of exceptional energy, almost that of some brigand chief, come he's sure to be some use neshtanov thought but fitueff turned out to be a wretched outcast the mir had taken his land away from him because he a healthy and positively powerful man could not work i can't fitueff would sob with deep inward groans and with a long-drawn sigh i can't work kill me or i shall lay hands on myself and he would end by begging alms a halfpenny for a crust of bread and a face out of a canvas of rinaldo rinaldini the factory folk too were no good to neshtanov all these fellows were either terribly lively or terribly gloomy and neshtanov could not get on at all with them he wrote a long letter on this subject to his friend Céline, complaining bitterly of his own incapacity and ascribing it to his wretched education and disgusting artistic temperament he suddenly came to the conclusion that his vocation in propaganda work was with the written not the spoken living word but the pamphlets he planned did not work out everything he tried to put on paper made on him the same impression of something false far-fetched artificial in tone and language and twice oh horror he caught himself unconsciously wandering off into verse or into a sceptical personal effusion he positively brought himself an extraordinary sign of confidence and intimacy to speak of this to mariana and was again surprised by finding a fellow feeling in her of course not with his literary bent but with the moral malady which he was suffering from and with which she too was familiar mariana was quite as much up in arms against all things artistic as he was 
yet the reason she had not loved and married markelov was in reality just that there was not a trace of the artistic nature in him mariana of course had not the courage to recognize this even to herself but we know that it is what remains a half-suspected secret for ourselves that is strongest in us so the days went by slowly unequally but not drearily something curious was taking place in neshtanov he was discontented with himself with his activity or rather his inactivity his words almost constantly had a ring of bitter and biting self-reproach but in his soul somewhere very deep within it there was a kind of happiness a sense of a certain peace whether it was the result of the country quiet the fresh air the summer the good food and the easy life or whether it came from the fact that he was now for the first time in his life tasting the sweetness of close contact with a woman's soul it would be hard to say but in fact his heart was light even though he complained and sincerely to his friend Celine. this frame of mind was however suddenly and violently destroyed in a single day on the morning of that day he received a note from vasily nikolaevitch in which he was directed in conjunction with markelov while awaiting further instructions at once to make friends with and come to an understanding with the aforementioned solomin and a certain merchant golushkin an old believer living in s this note threw neshtanov into violent agitation he could read reproach for his inactivity in it the bitterness that had all this time only raged in words was stirred up again from the bottom of his heart kalomietsev came to dinner greatly perturbed and exasperated imagine he cried in a voice almost lachrymose what a horrible thing i have just read in the paper my friend my dear mihail the servian prince has been murdered by some miscreants in belgrade this is what these jacobins and revolutionists come to if we don't put a firm stop to them sipiagin begged leave to remark that this revolting murder was probably not the work of jacobins whose existence can hardly be supposed in servia but of men of the party of karajorjevich the enemies of obrenovich but kalomietsev would hear nothing and in the same lachrymose voice began again describing how the murdered prince had loved him what a splendid gun he had given him gradually branching off and getting more and more indignant kalomietsev turned from foreign jacobins to home-bred nihilists and socialists and at last broke into a perfect philippic clutching a large white roll with both hands and breaking it in half over his soup plate quite in the style of real parisians at the cafe riche he expressed his longing to crush to grind to powder all who were in opposition to any one or anything whatever that was precisely his expression it is high time he declared lifting his spoon to his mouth it's high time he repeated as he gave his glass to the servant for sherry he referred reverentially to the great moscow journalists and ladislas notre bon et cher ladislas was continually on his lips and all through this he kept his eyes on neshtanov as though to transfix him with them there that's for you he seemed to say take that i mean it for you and there's more like it at last neshtanov could endure it no longer and he began to retort his voice it is true was a little uncertain and hoarse not from fear of course he began to champion the hopes the principles the ideals of the younger generation kalomietsev at once answered in a high pipe indignation in him was always expressed by falsetto and began to be abusive sipiagin majestically took neshtanov's part valentina mihalovna too agreed with her husband anna zaurovna tried to distract kolya's attention and cast looks of fury in all directions from under her cap mariana sat as though turned to stone 
but suddenly on hearing the name of ladislas uttered for the twentieth time neshtanov fired up and with a blow on the table he cried a fine authority as though we didn't know what kind of a creature this ladislas is he a hired puppet from his birth up and nothing more ah 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 so that's that's whined kolomietsev stuttering with fury is that how you allow yourself to refer to a man who enjoys the respect of persons of position like count blazenkrampf and prince kovrishkin neshtanov shrugged his shoulders a great recommendation truly prince kovrishkin the flunky enthusiast ladislas is my friend shrieked kolomietsev he's my comrade and i so much the worse for you interrupted neshtanov it implies that you share his way of thinking and my remarks apply to you as well kolomietsev was livid with wrath what you laugh you you ought instantly be what are you pleased to do with me instantly neshtanov interrupted a second time with ironical politeness there is no knowing how this scuffle between the two enemies would have ended if sipyagin had not cut it short at the very commencement raising his voice and assuming an air in which it was hard to say which was the predominant element the solemn authority of the statesman or the dignity of the master of the house he declared with calm insistence that he did not wish to hear any such intemperate expressions at his table that he had long ago made it his rule he corrected himself his sacred rule to respect every sort of conviction but only on the understanding here he raised his forefinger adorned with a signet ring that they were maintained within the limits of decorum and good breeding that though on the one hand he could not but censure a certain intemperance in the language of mr neshtanov pardonable however at his years on the other hand he could not approve of the severity of mr kolomietsev's attacks on persons of the opposite camp a severity to be attributed however to his zeal for the public welfare under my roof so he concluded under the roof of the sipyagins there are neither jacobins nor puppets there are only well-meaning people who when once they understand one another are bound to end by shaking hands neshtanov and kolomietsev both held their peace but they did not shake hands apparently the hour of mutual comprehension had not come for them quite the contrary they had never felt such intense mutual hatred the dinner was concluded in unpleasant and awkward silence Sipyagin tried to relate a diplomatic anecdote, but fairly gave it up in despair halfway through. Mariana stared doggedly at her plate. She did not care to show the sympathy aroused in her by Neshtanov's remarks. Not from cowardice, oh no, but she felt bound before everything not to betray herself to Madame Sipyagin. She felt her penetrating, persistent eyes fixed on her, and Madame Sipyagin did actually keep her eyes fixed on her, on her and Neshtanov his unexpected outburst at first astounded the sharp-witted lady then all of a sudden she saw as it were a light upon it so much so that involuntarily she murmured ah she suddenly divined that neshtanov was drifting away from her neshtanov who had so lately been in her grasp then something must have happened could it be mariana yes of course it was mariana he attracted her yes and he steps must be taken was how she concluded her reflections and meanwhile kalomietsev was choking with indignation even when playing preference two hours later he uttered the words pass or i buy with an aching heart and in his voice could be heard a hoarse tremolo of wounded feeling though he put on an appearance of being above it sipyagin alone was in reality positively pleased with the whole scene 
he had had a chance to show the power of his eloquence to still the rising storm he knew latin and virgil's quos ego was familiar to him he did not consciously compare himself to neptune quelling the tempest but he thought of him with a sort of sympathy end of chapter fourteen